0: Chapter two part one of the teeth of the tiger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Teeth of the Tiger by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter two. A man dead. The declaration was followed by a silence of some length. The secretary of the American Embassy and the Peruvian attaché had followed the conversation with eager interest. Major d'Astrignac nodded his head with an air of approval. To his mind, Perenna could not be mistaken. The Prefect of Police confessed, Certainly, certainly, we have a number of circumstances here that are fairly ambiguous. Those brown patches, that doctor, it's a case that wants looking into. And questioning Don Luis Perenna as though in spite of himself, he asked, No doubt in your opinion there is a possible connection between the murder and Mr. Mornington's will." "'That, Monsieur le Préfet, I cannot tell. "'If there is, we should have to suppose that the contents of the will were known. "'Do you think they can have leaked out, Maître Lepertuis?' "'I don't think so, for Mr. Mornington seemed to behave with great caution. "'And there's no question, is there, of any indiscretion committed in your office?' "'By whom? "'No one handled the will except myself, and I alone have the key of the safe in which I put away documents of that importance every evening. "'The safe has not been broken into.' There has been no burglary at your office. No. You saw Cosmo Mornington in the morning. Yes, on a Friday morning. What did you do with the will until the evening, until you locked it away in your safe? I probably put it in the drawer of my desk. And the drawer was not forced. Maître Lepertuis seemed taken aback and made no reply. Well, asked Perenna. Well, yes, I remember. There was something that day, that same Friday. Are you sure?" yes when i came in from lunch i noticed that the drawer was not locked although i had locked it beyond the least doubt at the time i attached comparatively little importance to the incident to-day i understand i understand thus little by little were all the suppositions conceived by don luis verified suppositions resting, it is true, upon just one or two clues, but yet containing an amount of intuition, of divination, that was really surprising in a man who had been present at none of the events between which he traced the connection so skilfully. "'We will lose no time, monsieur,' said the Prefect of Police, in checking your statements, which you will confess to be a little venturesome, by the more positive evidence of one of my detectives who has the case in charge, and who ought to be here by now.' "'Does his evidence bear upon Cosmo Mornington's heirs?' asked the solicitor. "'Upon the heirs principally because two days ago he telephoned to me that he had collected all the particulars, and also upon the very points which—' "'But wait! I remember that he spoke to my secretary of a murder committed a month ago to-day. Now it's a month to-day since Mr. Cosmo Mornington—' M. D'Amalion pressed hard on a bell. His private secretary at once appeared. "'Inspector Verot asked the prefect sharply. He's not back yet. Have him fetched, have him brought here. He must be found at all costs and without delay. He turned to Don Luis Perenna. Inspector Vero was here an hour ago, feeling rather unwell, very much excited, it seems, and declaring that he was being watched and followed. He said he wanted to make a most important statement to me about the Mornington case, and to warn the police of two murders which are to be committed to-night, and which would be a consequence of the murder of Cosmo Mornington. "'And he was unwell, you say?' "'Yes, ill at ease, and even very queer in imagining things. By way of being prudent, he left a detailed report on the case for me. Well, the report is simply a blank sheet of letter-paper. Here is the paper and the envelope in which I found it, and here is a cardboard box which he also left behind him. It contains a cake of chocolate with the marks of teeth on it. "'May I look at the two things you have mentioned, Monsieur le Préfet?' "'Yes, but they won't tell you anything.' "'Perhaps so.' Don Luis examined at length the cardboard box and the yellow envelope, on which were printed the words Café du Pont-Neuf. The others awaited his words, as though they were bound to shed an unexpected light. He merely said, The handwriting is not the same on the envelope and the box. The writing on the envelope is less plain, a little shaky, obviously imitated. Which proves... Which proves, Monsieur le Préfet, that this yellow envelope does not come from your detective i presume that after writing his report at a table in the cafe du pont-neuf and closing it he had a moment of inattention during which somebody substituted for his envelope another with the same address but containing a blank sheet of paper that's a supposition said the prefect perhaps but what is certain monsieur le prfet is that your inspector's presentiments are well grounded that he is being closely watched that the discoveries about the mornington inheritance which he has succeeded in making are interfering with criminal designs, and that he is in terrible danger. Come, come! He must be rescued, Monsieur le Préfet. Ever since the commencement of this meeting I have felt persuaded that we are up against an attempt which has already begun. I hope that it is not too late, and that your inspector has not been the first victim. My dear sir! exclaimed the Prefect of Police. You declare all this with a conviction which rouses my admiration, but which is not enough to establish the fact that your fears are justified, Inspector Vero's return will be the best proof. Inspector Vero will not return. But why not? Because he has returned already. The messenger saw him return. The messenger was dreaming. If you have no proof but that man's evidence... I have another proof, Monsieur le Préfet, which Inspector Vero himself has left of his presence here. These few, almost illegible letters which he scribbled on this memorandum-pad, which your secretary did not see him write, and which have just caught my eye. Look at them. Are they not a proof, a definite proof, that he came back? The prefect did not conceal his perturbation. The others all seemed impressed. The Secretary's return but increased their apprehensions. Nobody had seen Inspector Vero. Monsieur le Préfet said Don Luis, I earnestly beg you to have the office messenger in and as soon as the messenger was there he asked him without even waiting for m Malion to speak are you sure that inspector vrot entered this room a second time absolutely sure and that he did not go out again absolutely sure and your attention was not distracted for a moment not for a moment there monsieur you see cried the prefect if inspector vrot were here we should know it he is here monsieur le prefet what Excuse my obstinacy, Monsieur Le Prefet, but I say that when someone enters a room and does not go out again, he is still in that room. Hiding? said Monsieur de Malion, who was growing more and more irritated. No, but fainting. Ill. Dead, perhaps. But where hang it all? Behind that screen. There's nothing behind that screen, nothing but a door. And that door? Leads to a dressing room. Well, Monsieur le Préfet, Inspector Vérot, tottering, losing his head, imagining himself to be going from your office to your secretary's room, fell into your dressing-room. M. demalion ran to the door, but at the moment of opening it shrank back. Was it apprehension, the wish to withdraw himself from the influence of that astonishing man, who gave his orders with such authority, and who seemed to command events themselves? Don Luis stood waiting imperturbably in a deferential attitude. "'I cannot believe!' said M. de Malion. "Monsieur le Préfet, I would remind you that Inspector Vérot's revelations may save the lives of two persons who are doomed to die to-night. Every minute lost is irreparable.' M. de Malion shrugged his shoulders. But that man mastered him with the power of his conviction, and the Prefect opened the door. He did not make a movement, did not utter a cry. He simply muttered, "'Oh, is it possible?' By the pale gleam of light that entered through a ground-glass window, they saw the body of a man lying on the floor. "'The inspector! Inspector Vero!' gasped the office messenger, running forward. He and the secretary raised the body and placed it in an armchair in the prefect's office. Inspector Vero was still alive, but so little alive that they could scarcely hear the beating of his heart. A drop of saliva trickled from the corner of his mouth. His eyes were devoid of all expression. However, certain muscles of the face kept moving, perhaps with the effort of a will that seemed to linger almost beyond life. Don Luis muttered, "'Look, Monsieur le Préfet, the brown patches!' The same dread unnerved all. They began to ring bells and open doors and call for help. "'Send for the doctor,' ordered M. Desmalions. "'Tell them to bring a doctor, the first that comes, and a priest. We can't let the poor man—' Don Luis raised his arm to demand silence. "'There is nothing more to be done,' he said. We shall do better to make the most of these last moments. Have I your permission, Monsieur le Préfet? He bent over the dying man, laid the swaying head against the back of the chair, and in a very gentle voice whispered, "Vero, it's Monsieur le Préfet speaking to you. We should like a few particulars about what is to take place tonight. Do you hear me, Vero? If you hear me, close your eyelids." The eyelids were lowered, but was it not merely chance? Don Luis went on you have found the heirs of the Roussel sisters, that much we know. And it is two of those heirs who are threatened with death. The double murder is to be committed to-night. But what we do not know is the name of those heirs, who are doubtless not called Roussel. You must tell us the name. Listen to me. You wrote on a memorandum pad three letters which seem to form the syllable faux. Am I right? Is this the first syllable of a name? Which is the next letter after those three? Close your eyes when I mention the right letter." Is it B? Is it C? But there was now not a flicker in the inspector's pallid face. The head dropped heavily on the chest. Verrault gave two or three sighs. His frame shook with one great shiver, and he moved no more. He was dead. The tragic scene had been enacted so swiftly that the men who were at shuddering spectators remained for a moment confounded. The solicitor made the sign of the cross and went down on his knees. The prefect murmured, Poor Vero. He was a good man, who thought only of the service, of his duty, instead of going and getting himself seen to. And who knows, perhaps he might have been saved. He came back here in the hope of communicating his secret. Poor Vero. Was he married? Are there any children? asked Don Luis. He leaves a wife and three children, replied the prefect. I will look after them, said Don Luis simply. Then, when they brought a doctor, and when M. Malion gave orders for the corpse to be taken to another room, Don Luis took the doctor aside and said, "'There is no doubt that Inspector Vero was poisoned. Look at his wrist. You will see the mark of a puncture with a ring of inflammation round it.' Then he was pricked in that place. Yes, with a pin or the point of a pen. And not as violently as they may have wished, because death did not ensue until some hours later.' the messengers removed the corpse and soon there was no one left in the office except the five people whom the prefect had originally sent for the american secretary of embassy and the peruvian attache considering their continued presence unnecessary went away after warmly complimenting don luis perenna on his powers of penetration next came the turn of major d'astrignac who shook his former subordinate by the hand with obvious affection and Maître Le and Perenna, having fixed an appointment for the payment of the legacy, were themselves on the point of leaving when M. de Malion entered briskly. Ah, so you are still here, Don Luis Perenna. I am glad of that. I have an idea. Those three letters which you say you made out on the writing table—are you sure they form the syllable faux?' I think so, Monsieur le Préfet. See for yourself. Are not these an F, an A, and a U? and observed that the f is a capital which made me suspect that the letters are the first syllable of a proper name just so just so said m desmalions well curiously enough that syllable happens to be but wait we'll verify our facts m desmalions searched hurriedly among the letters which his secretary had handed him on his arrival and which lay on a corner of the table ah here we are he exclaimed glancing at the signature of one of the letters here we are it's as i thought Fauxville the first syllable is the same. Look, Fauville, just like that, without Christian name or initials. The letter must have been written in a feverish moment. There is no date nor address. The writing is shaky. And M. Desmalions read out, Monsieur le Préfet, a great danger is hanging over my head and over the head of my son. Death is approaching apace. I shall have to-night, or to-morrow morning at the latest, the proofs of the abominable plot that threatens us. I ask leave to bring them to you in the course of the morning." I am in need of protection, and I call for your assistance. Permit me to be etc Fauville. No other designation asked Padena, no letter-heading none, but there is no mistake. Inspector Verrau's declarations agree too evidently with this despairing appeal. It is clearly M Fauville and his son who are to be murdered to-night, and the terrible thing is that, as this name of Fauville is a very common one, it is impossible for our inquiries to succeed in time. What, Monsieur Le Prefet? Surely by straining every nerve? Certainly we will strain every nerve, and I shall set all my men to work. But observe that we have not the slightest clue. Oh, it would be awful, cried Don Luis. Those two creatures doomed to death, and we unable to save them. Monsieur Le Prefet, I ask you to authorize me. He had not finished speaking when the prefect's private secretary entered with a visiting card in his hand. Monsieur Le Prefet, this caller was so persistent I hesitated. M. Desmalions took the card and uttered an exclamation of mingled surprise and joy. "Look, Monsieur," he said to Perenna, and he handed him the card. Hippolyte Fauville, civil engineer, fourteen Biz, Boulevard Suchet. "Come," said M. Desmalions, "chance is favouring us. If this Monsieur Fauville is one of the Roussel heirs, our task becomes very much easier." In any case, Monsieur le Préfet, the solicitor imposed, I must remind you that one of the clauses of the will stipulates that it shall not be read until 48 hours have elapsed. M. Fauville, therefore, must not be informed. The door was pushed open, and a man hustled the messenger aside and rushed in. Inspector! Inspector Vérot! he spluttered. He's dead, isn't he? I was told... Yes, monsieur, he is dead. Too late! I'm... too late! he stammered and he sank into a chair, clasping his hands and sobbing. Oh, the scoundrels! The scoundrels! He was a pale, hollow-cheeked, sickly-looking man of about fifty. His head was bald, above a forehead lined with deep wrinkles. A nervous twitching affected his chin and the lobes of his ears. Tears stood in his eyes. The prefect asked, Whom do you mean, monsieur? Inspector Vero's murderers? Are you able to name them, to assist our inquiry? Hippolyte Fauville shook his head. No, no, it would be useless for the moment. My proofs would not be sufficient. No, really not. He had already risen from his chair and stood apologizing. Monsieur le Préfet, I have disturbed you unnecessarily, but I wanted to know... I was hoping that Inspector Veron might have escaped. His evidence, joined to mine, would have been invaluable, but perhaps he was able to tell you. No, he spoke of this evening, of to-night. Hippolyte Fauville started. This evening? then the time has come. But no, it's impossible. They can't do anything to me yet. They are not ready. Inspector Vero declared, however, that the double murder would be committed to-night. No, Monsieur le Préfet, he was wrong there. I know all about it. To-morrow evening, at the earliest, and we will catch them in a trap. Oh, the scoundrels! Don Luis went up to him and asked. Your mother's name was Hermeline Roussel, was it not? Yes, Hermeline Roussel. She is dead now. And she was from Saint Etienne. Yes, but why these questions? Monsieur Le Prefet will tell you tomorrow. One word more. He opened the cardboard box left by Inspector Vero. Does this cake of chocolate mean anything to you? These marks? Oh how awful said the civil engineer in a hoarse tone. Where did the inspector find it? End of chapter two Part one